Are we on? <laughs> Have we got microphone, guys? All right. All right. Well, good morning, Chillicothe Bible Church. We are uh, we are wrapping up. Uh, actually, next week will be the last message I give in the Book of Romans. Uh, we're in uh, Romans chapter 15 this week. Last week we looked at uh, verses 14 to 21, which speak to us specifically about the mission that God has given to us as His people to carry the gospel to people of every nation and tribe and language and ethnic group around the world, including both people in our neighborhood and people who have never heard Jesus' name. People all over the world, our mission is to make the gospel known to every person on the planet. That there would be no one who would go to their grave not having heard who Jesus is and what He has done for them. That's the mission. And this week what we're going to do as we finish up chapter 15 and get into chapter 16... We're going to be looking at how we carry out the mission. Uh, last week was a reminder of what the mission is, and this week gives us a model in Paul's own life of what to do to carry out the mission together, uh, what I'm calling gospel partnerships. A gospel partnership is what results when brothers and sisters in Christ work together to carry the gospel to those who don't know Jesus. Uh, if you want a practical example of one way of a, uh, of a gospel partnership being enacted, look around the room. Uh, it looks like a lot of, uh, of dead animals, right? But what it really is, is a gospel opportunity that many of you work together to bring about uh, to carry the gospel to a whole bunch of people who did not know Jesus. Uh, out of that group, there were 14 people that I need to follow up with. 14 people that I need to make some calls to and sit down with and talk to about Jesus. That's an amazing thing, okay? But it, was, it looks like a whole bunch of work and a whole bunch of making food and a whole bunch of hanging stuff all over the room and bringing in a speaker and all that kind of thing. But what it really is, is all of us working together in a common purpose to share the gospel with a group of people who are largely unchurched and who are largely unsaved and who do not know Jesus as a group. I mean, you know, maybe outlaw bikers more than hunters, uh, you know, don't know Jesus. But apart from that, uh, this is a group of people who largely don't know Jesus and who spend their weekends in other ways uh, than in church and with the people of God. Amen? And, and that's a gospel partnership. Uh, it's the expansion of God's kingdom in people working together to carry the gospel to people who don't know Jesus. Um, by the way, if you participated in any way in that event yesterday, thank you. Thank you for doing that. Uh, great is your reward in heaven for the work that you put in. Thank you for that. Uh, Jesus said anyone who, who uh, 
gives a cup of cold water in my name will not fail to have his reward. So if you did at least that, you brought a pie, you served food, you set up stuff, you tore down chairs, whatever, God is honored by that, and you will have your reward um, from him. So uh, one of, there's three things I want to show you from the text here about gospel partnerships, and uh, the first one is that they require teamwork. So I want to look at, the, uh, at verses 22 to 29 and show that to you. Uh, here in chapter 15 of Romans, uh, I'm going to pray before we get into the text. So let's pray together. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank You and we give all glory and honor and praise to You because You alone are worthy to receive glory, honor, and power in all the universe. Father, You are the center of all things. You are the one that we praise. You are the one we adore. You are the one that we worship. You are the one who gives joy in the midst of life. And Father, we pray this morning as we open Your Word together that You would help us to see here the truths that You want us to learn from Your Word. You have written to us a love letter, and Father, we pray that as we read it and study it, that we would do more than just listen to it. That we would hear and obey what You have called us to. And we, we pray in Jesus' name, Amen. Let's look at the Word together here. Paul says, This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you, but now, since I no longer have any room to, for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you again in passing as I go to Spain, and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints, for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this, and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. Now, uh, here's, here's, uh, here's something you need to know about a partnership. It requires, are you ready? Partners. Blinding flash of the obvious, I know. But if you're going to have a partnership, you're going to have to have more than one person be involved. And successfully advancing the gospel requires partners, requires a team of people to do it. God has put us together in the church for many reasons, but one of the reasons is that we advance the gospel more effectively together than we do on our own. And if you read these verses closely, what you see here is that Paul uh, hasn't been to Rome yet. He wants to go, but he hasn't made it yet. And it's because he has been busy preaching the gospel to all of the Gentile nations between Jerusalem and Rome. And he'd been planting churches all across the northeast Mediterranean. And he said, look, I, I, I wanted to do that first and just kind of preach my way around to you. And now I've done it. I've, I've, I've established churches in all these little countries all the way across. And now I get to cross the Adriatic Sea and go to you. 
And then, because there's already a church where you're at, I'm going to go beyond you to Spain. Now, Spain, at the time, is the, is the western edge of the Roman Empire. It is, in, in Paul's day, it's the edge of the earth. They don't know about anything out there to the west. And so Paul is going, I want to go to the edge of the planet. I want to, know to, I want to go to wherever the gospel is not known. And, and so despite his desires, he has put the mission as more important. And now he's finally reached the point in his life where he can go to the church at Rome and, and be with them. And he wants to spend time with these folks. He wants to enjoy their company, but also to partner with them so that together they can expand the gospel's reach beyond them and make the kingdom bigger. And he knows he can't do it alone. And so he needs their help. And there's one thing left to do, though, before he goes to Rome. He says, look, uh, before I get to you, I've got a collection I've got to deliver. And you can read about this collection in First and Second Corinthians. Paul mentions it both places. It occupies a whole bunch of the chapters from uh, both the, the, the delivery of it to Jerusalem as well as the aftermath of what happens when he gets to Jerusalem. occupies a bunch of the last chapters of the book of Acts. Uh, but there's a famine that's happening in Jerusalem, and Paul has taken the collection from Gentile churches, and he's going to go deliver it. And he's like, and after I get done in Jerusalem with that, then I'm coming straight to you. And then we're going to carry the gospel together out to the edge. And we're going to be on the, on the pointy end of the spear, carrying the gospel all the way to the edge. And isn't that going to be exciting? And so he's asking them for their help. And he also points out that those who receive spiritual blessings should happily share material blessings with their brothers and sisters. He says, look, it's because of the church at Jerusalem that all of these Gentile churches have gotten the gospel. And so therefore, their material blessings are going to go back uh, to Jerusalem for relief. Uh, but gospel work, the point of these verses is that gospel work can't be done by our own efforts. And you need to have a team of people who are working together to make it happen. Whenever you're doing missions, whenever you're, you're headed out on God's mission, you, you need to have more than just you that are involved. You need people who are supporters, people who are going to also, and this is the next thing, pray for you and pray with you for the advance of the gospel. Because guess what? Gospel work is God's work. It's God's work. It requires prayer. It is powered by prayer. The most important thing that you can do for someone to come to faith in Jesus is to pray for them to come to faith. Because I don't know about you, but I have never yet successfully brought a dead person to life. And that's what the Scripture says someone being converted to faith in Jesus is. That it is God working in that person to bring a dead person, someone who the Scripture says was dead in their trespasses and sins, to new life in Jesus Christ. Only God can do that. 
And so if the gospel is going to advance, it's going to be powered by prayer. And that's the next thing I want you to see here. The verses 30 to 33 here. Look at these. The Scripture says, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Now here in these four verses, Paul gives us an example, a model of partnering in prayer for the gospel's advance. And there are several things that you should notice about it here. First, look at how he tells them to pray. He says, pray by our Lord and by the love of the Spirit. And I think that means to pray in Jesus' name and invoking His authority as Lord. And when he mentions the love of the Spirit, I think he's talking about the love that the Spirit gives between brothers and sisters in Christ for one another. In other words, don't, don't pray for me out of obligation. Don't pray for me because you should. Pray for me out of love that the Spirit gives you for me. You know, sometimes when, when we pray for missionaries, you know, we kind of do that, and God bless all the missionaries. Right? Well, is, is, that, is that effective? Well, maybe God honors that. I don't know. Uh, but, but the idea is, is out of affection and out of love for them as your brother and as your sister that you seek the Lord on their behalf. That the love that the Spirit gives overflows through you into your prayers. And that Jesus is Lord and therefore you invoke His name and His authority as you pray. And second, look at what He asked them to pray for. There are three things He asked them to pray for. He says, first of all, pray that I'd be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea. By that He means His fellow Jews. If you remember, Paul was a Pharisee. And he hated Christians in the early part of his life. He tried to stamp out Christianity. He was arresting people. He was having them thrown in prison. He was giving approval to people being martyred for their faith in Jesus Christ. And then on his way to Damascus to deliver an arrest warrant for some believing people there, he meets Jesus on the road. And all of a sudden is converted himself to the faith that he tried to destroy. Now, we celebrate that, but guess what? His compatriots, his, his fellow Jews, were not pleased by that outcome. And he says, he says, pray for me that I might be delivered. Because going back to Jerusalem, as the Apostle Paul, was a dangerous thing. You know, I really don't have any idea about that, really. I mean, when I, when I go visit people, they, they all greet me at the door and they, you know, they clean up and they, they go, oh, pastor, I'm glad you're here, right? They usually serve like pie and coffee or something, right? When, wherever Paul went, they had a riot. 
got stoned and left for dead one place. He's having to get out of town in a basket over the wall in another place. He's getting beaten and flogged and imprisoned on the regular. I think he must have been like from head to toe like one giant keloid scar. And he says, pray for me that when I go back here to these people who hate me, that I'll be delivered from them. Is that a real prayer? Yeah, baby. That's a real prayer. Second thing, he says, pray that the collection he's delivering would be acceptable to the saints. Meaning, I think he wants this to be an encouraging thing. An, an, an uplifting thing. Something that, that builds unity between the, the brothers and sisters who are present in Jerusalem and their Gentile brothers and sisters who are over in Greece. That, that this would be an encouraging thing. This would be an upbuilding and a unifying thing. That They would not look at that and go, is that all you brought? I mean, really? It took you like a year to go get it. He wants it to be an encouraging thing and, and to show and demonstrate genuine love between brothers and sisters. And that having been granted, this is the third thing, having been granted these two things, that he'd be able to come with joy and get encouragement from the Roman church. And then verse 33 is his prayer for them. He says, I pray that the God of peace might be with you. Brothers and sisters, let me ask you a question. Why does he pray that? Doesn't that seem weird to anybody? Because God is always with us. Amen? And God is always the God of peace. So why does he say, I pray that the God of peace will be with you? That's weird. At least it is a little bit strange until you think about it just a little bit. And I think what he's asking is that God's peace might rest on the Roman church and that they might know God as the God of peace who is always with them and who gives peace regardless of our circumstances. The Roman church was not, at this time, it was not a well-established, well-rooted, unpersecuted group of people. In fact, it's right around this time that Paul is writing this letter that everybody who is a Jew has gotten run out of Rome. And a bunch of Christians besides have been kicked out of the city by the emperor. And he's saying, I'm praying that the God of peace would be with you, that you might experience God's peace in the midst of all of your circumstances and know that He is with you. Now, one more thing I should probably mention. These prayers that he asked them to pray, they were effective. They worked. The book of 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians describe Paul's collection. The book of Acts tells you what happened when Paul got there to Jerusalem. The Jerusalem church was encouraged and they were helped in the middle of their difficulties. The unbelievers there stirred up a riot and Paul got arrested and thrown in prison. And you go, wait a minute, hold on, Pastor, you just told me the prayers worked. Well, here's what happened. Paul's arrest and his imprisonment kept him safe from the unbelievers who had put out a contract on Paul's life. They had a hit squad, 
hired to kill him. And they all said, we're not going to eat until we've ended that guy's life. And Paul spent a couple of years in prison after that. So they got real hungry. <laughs> okay. But he spent a couple of years in prison, and as he did, you know what happened? Paul himself was in chains, but he says in Philippians, the gospel is not chained. And in fact, the gospel, it has, it, my imprisonment has really served to advance the gospel. If you read Philippians, it says, my imprisonment has really served to advance the gospel. In fact, I've got a captive audience all day because they've got me under house arrest and the prison guards can't get away. <laughs> and so Paul just preached the gospel to them. And, and a whole bunch of the Praetorian Guard came to faith in Jesus. And on top of that, members of every household where he was kept confined came to faith in Jesus. And Paul kept writing to the church and building people up in the faith. And then eventually he did get to Rome. Now he didn't get there the way he planned. He got there in prison and under, uh, under a threat of death, and he eventually, in fact, was put to death by the emperor Nero, beheaded in prison there. But he did get there, and he was refreshed by the, by the Roman church, and he did find encouragement with them. You know, God always answers our prayers. He doesn't always answer in the way that we think that he should, right? Sometimes it involves difficulty and trial and hard circumstances, but God did answer their prayers. And the gospel did go to Spain. It didn't go through Paul, but it went through partnerships and relationships that Paul had formed through people that he had discipled who went on and carried on the mission now, the last quality of gospel partnership is what Paul shows us in verse 16, uh, chapter, first 16 verses here of chapter 16. I want to read those with you. Uh, there's a whole lot of just commendation and greetings here, but these are important verses. There's a reason they're in the Bible, and I want to show them to you. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Centuria, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Epinatus, who was the first convert to Christ, in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, my fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stockies. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord, who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, 
Hermas and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. Now, if you look at this section closely, what you'll see is that Paul sends greetings and commendations to 28 individual people. 28 individuals. In addition, he also sends greetings and commendations to one house church, two families, and one other group of believers. And what comes through all of these mentions, all of these mentions that he has here, all these shout-outs to folks, is Paul's great love for all of them. He has great affection for these people. He, the first one goes to Phoebe. He says, welcome and help Sister Phoebe. She's most likely the woman who is carrying the letter of Romans to the Roman church. And she has sponsored Paul's ministry and sponsored the ministry of of other people. That's what it means when she says that she's been a patron. This is a woman who has sacrificed for the cause of Christ and for the expansion of the Gospel. You've got, and this is interesting, this is, I think, the one place where you see this woman's name spelled this way, Prisca. It's, uh, she's known elsewhere as Priscilla, the wife of Aquila. They were a husband-wife ministry team, but Prisca is the familiar form of that name. So it's like, you know, my, the name I was given was Joseph. Right? But if you know me, it's Joe. Well, this is the same way. This is the same kind of address. It's a familiar friend. Someone who, is, who you're in close relationship with. And look who these people are. It says, they are my fellow workers. That's true. They, were, they had jobs just like Paul had. They made tents just like he did. And they shared the same trade. But look what they did. It says, they risked their necks for my life. You know, I've never, I never got the honor of being in the military. But here's one thing that I know about it. That guys who go to combat together have a bond like nothing else in all the world. And these guys that go to war and they, they ride to the sound of the guns and they face down the enemy together side by side, there's something that happens right there. And they become brothers in a way that is unique in human experience, right? Paul regards these people as the same kind of people. Priscilla and Aquila, if you, were, if you will, are his war buddies. Because Paul has been had his life threatened more than once. In fact, it says in Acts, in the incident where he gets stoned and left for dead outside the city, that he doesn't get up until all of the brothers gather around and pray for him. I think he's actually dead. And they raise him from the dead with their prayers. And then the next day, Paul goes back to preach the gospel. He was a tough dude. All right. He was a man's man. He preached the gospel, put me to death with rocks, and I'll go back and preach tomorrow. Okay. 
saddle up, you know. I don't think I've got enough backbone for that, but okay. That's what he was. That's the kind of guy he was. And he says, these people laid their lives down for me. You've got three women, Mary, uh, possibly Jesus' mother, although Mary was a fairly common name. Narcissus, uh, you've got also a lady named Persis. They are all people, he says, are working hard in the ministry. You've got a set of twins, Tryphena and Tryphosa. They're both probably women. And they're called workers in the Lord. You've got Urbanus, a man who is Paul's fellow worker in Christ. And, and what you see here is that the ministry is a joy, but it's also a job. And it's something that you need to work hard at. And these are people who have and do. And it might be costly. In fact, it might cost you your life. But as the great missionary Jim Elliott said, he is no fool if he would choose to give what he can't keep to gain what he can't lose. And he laid his life down for the gospel in Ecuador. I think, this is just my personal opinion, I'm not a prophet nor the son of a prophet, but it's just my personal opinion that if the gospel is going to go to the hard places of the world, to the 1040 window, the, which is largely Muslim, and where it is largely illegal to preach the gospel openly, and if you do, it will cost you your life in some cases. At a minimum, you'll get deported. You might go to prison, and they might put you to death. It happens. But I think that it, what it's going to take is a generation of men and women who are more who are more in love with Jesus than they are with their own lives. Who are willing to go to these places and who are willing to preach the Gospel though it costs me everything in this life. That I might honor the Lord in what I do. Because what the old church father said is still true. That the blood of the martyrs is seed for the church. And I think we're going to have to get courageous. We're going to carry out the mission. We're going to have to get bold and be willing to say what we're told. And you can't say that here. And we may have to lay down our lives that the gospel might go out. But that is what love does, it bears the cost whatever comes. Notice some of these other people. You've got Stachys, Persis, and Epignatus. I don't know if that's how you say it, but you say it fast and nobody knows. Right? Alright. <laughs> Alright. That guy. The fellow with the E at the front of his name. They're all beloved. You see that? Rufus. He's the son of Simon of Cyrene. The man who carried Jesus' cross on the way to Calvary. His mother likewise is dear to Paul because of her care for him. He says that this woman has been like a mother to me as well as to Rufus. And many of the remainder of these folks are just greeted 
And Paul passes along greetings from other churches on to them. And what is completely obvious as you look at that is that these are not just people that he knows. These are not just acquaintances. These are not just a, you know, somebody you pass in the hall and go, hey, how you doing? Oh, fine, fine. These are people that he knows, people he is friends with, people that are dear to him, and people that he loves and that love him even when they're distant from each other. And that, I think, is significant. Because if we're going to advance the gospel as a church and as the church around the world, we're going to have to partner with fellow Christians and we're going to have to power our gospel preaching and our gospel proclamation and our gospel witness with prayer. And if we're going to carry that to every tribe and language, success is going to require not only our prayers, but a foundation of love and care for each other. Because here's what I know about people. I, I know this for a fact. That the hardest atheists will melt toward the Gospel in the presence of someone who loves them and sends them a birthday card. That's a fact. Because there is something very compelling about love for one another. People are drawn to that. It's what characterized the early church. It's what people said about the, in fact, criticized the church for. They're like, one ancient writer who was not a Christian said, you can't believe these people. They call each other brothers and sisters after they have just met. And they welcome each other into their homes even though they're total strangers. How about that? And it was so attractive and so appealing that the church just grew and grew and grew and grew until pretty soon all of the old paganism of the Roman Empire was overthrown by the worship of the one true God through faith in Jesus Christ. And I believe that as Francis Schaeffer said, that love is the ultimate apologetic for the faith. That as we love each other, as we're advancing the gospel in partnership with each other, we have to love each other. And we have to love each other even when we're distant from each other. You know, our church sends out missionaries, and we have some great missionaries who are, who've been faithful to carry the gospel over decades to hard places. Places in the Muslim world. Uh, missionaries in Japan, where less than 1% of the people there are evangelical Christians. Hard places. Places that are known as where missionaries go to die, having not seen anybody come to faith in Jesus. And they need our love and our care and our partnership with them. Amen? Because they are going to places that many of us cannot get to. But places where the mission of God calls us to send them. And, for, and where God may raise up some of us and send us one day. And there's got to be a foundation of love driving that partnership forward. Because gospel proclamation without love 
is heresy. Amen? Because what do, what do we say to people that God so loves the world? And so the idea that His people would not love each other who have been demonstrated by God the greatest love that there is is just completely incongruous. You cannot, you cannot be a Christian who says that you love God and not love your brothers and sisters. If you doubt me on this, read 1 John. He'll tell you repeatedly that that is not true. You can't do it. You've got to have a foundation of love and care for each other, even at a distance. A relationship that stays warm. Now, our mission is to preach the gospel. Our mission. Not my mission. Not the mission of the capital C church overall. Our mission. Our mission as Chillicothe Bible Church is to make the gospel known. To make Jesus famous in all the world. And we are going to need some partners to do that. This is the method. This is the method Paul used. This is the method God blessed. This is the method God still uses. That, that brothers and sisters within the church form partnerships to, bring, to carry out the gospel. And whatever part we play in that, we are advancing the gospel. Not every part of the body has the same function. But we all partner together, we work together to spread the gospel around the world. And we, those need to be empowered by prayer, they need to be built on a foundation of love. And then also, there ought to be gospel fruit in our lives. The gospel ought to be producing fruit, and this is how we bear fruit. Very simple. It is together we seek the Lord, together we love each other, and then we move out from that foundation into the world with the gospel and we bring others in to the community. We suck them in with the love of God and love for each other. You ever seen an amoeba eat? All right, it kind of slides up next to something and just kind of swallows it, right? Well, that's the idea. That, that we come up next to unbelievers and we, out of love for God and as a result of His love for us, we welcome them in to a community of people who love each other. And they meet Jesus as part of that. And we move out from this place out into the world where the mission is. On the basis of prayer, on the basis of love for one another, on the basis of the partnerships we have together to advance the gospel, we move out into the world. The mission is not in here. The mission is out there. And we carry it forward together as we love each other and as we take the message out on that basis to the world. So let's pray and then let's sing and worship Jesus some more. Father, we thank You that You have entrusted us of all people. That is still startling to me, Father, that You would choose to use me and use 
us to carry your message and your mission into the world. Father, we are not impressive people. We are not the wisest and the wealthiest and the smartest and the most gifted, the most talented, the most obvious candidates for representing God in the world. But Father, nevertheless, in your great grace, you have chosen us. You have called us by your name. You have adopted us into your family and you have said of each one of us, you are mine. And then you've given us a job to carry the gospel into the world. Father, I pray we would be passionate proclaimers of the gospel. The message that has saved us is meant to save others as well. And, and for each of us to have a long list of people that we are bringing with us into the kingdom. And for each of them that we share the gospel with to have a long list of people that they are bringing with them. Father, I pray that indeed our partnerships will be fruitful and that we might see the gospel go out. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.